So one way to improve your life is to simply try harder. And for some, that's the American way. If you want to improve your life, you just try harder. You muster up the strength of your will. Right? You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You do better. Try harder. And there's, I think, probably no better example of that in our recent, well, not, not so recent American history uh, than one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. So before we get to the Bible tonight, let me show you how Benjamin Franklin did it. His approach was fascinating. He had a plan. He called it his plan for attaining moral perfection. Talk about ambitious. And his goal was to live without fault at any time. So what he did is he identified 13 core values, 13 core virtues that he wanted to see incorporated into his life. So temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, and some more. 13 in all. And so he methodically concentrated on one at a time, and he would try and practice a virtue once a week for 13 weeks, and then after 13 weeks, he would start his cycle all over again. So here's a look at his little chart. So he would chart these out in 13 different charts. Again, you'd see he, at the top, he would name one of the things he wanted to focus on. He would then define it for himself so he knows what he's going after. And then he would have this list of, here are his acronyms of his virtues. Uh, and then he had the days of the week. And he would kind of go through his day. And at the end of each day, he would think about how he lived his life. And if he found any blemish on his attempt for that virtue of the day, he would put a little mark by it. Sunday was a rough one here for order. In fact, it's funny, at the end of his life, in his autobiography, he mentioned that one of the hardest virtues for him was order. Maybe you can relate to that if you're a slob. Originally, his list only had 12 virtues, and then one of his good Quaker friends informed him that as, as he was pursuing his 12 virtues, he was getting prideful. And so he added humility to the list and made that his 13th <laughs> virtue. He defined humility as emulate Christ and Socrates in all things. But I think you can guess that at the end of his life, he gave up. And anyone who has ever attempted the try-harder methodology has found that to be the case. Simply trying harder doesn't work. In fact, I would say that typically trying harder leads to hopelessness and despair. Because we come to discover that it's hard to live a high-character life. Now, some of you may hear of Christianity and think intuitively that we're talking about trying harder. 
And I'm hopeful that even tonight and in the weeks to come that you'll be reminded or learn or relearn that that is not the case. The message of Christianity is not try harder. The message of Christianity is not just self-improvement. It's not make a chart, make a list, work real hard, mark down the few times that you fail, and give it a go again in 13 weeks. Open your Bibles with me this evening to the New Testament book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Last week, I opened up our new summer series with some introductory words about the series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I tried last week to paint the picture as to why I think that looking at, talking about, studying the fruit of the Spirit is good and helpful for us in our modern age. Galatians 5, 22, Paul the Apostle writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So this summer, we're going to look at the nine facets of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about love in a world of fear, joy in a world of discontent, peace in a world of fracture, patience in a world of instant gratification, kindness in a world of rage, goodness in a world of cruelty, gentleness in a world of hostility, faithfulness in a world of infidelity, self-control in a world of indulgence. So this is a countercultural invitation to take on the character of Christ. And each week, we're going to take a look at each facet, each component. And I really do believe, I'm convinced that, that the fruit of the Spirit is good news to our world. It should be good news to us. Because there's a longing and a desire for these things. I think this is what we deeply long for. So next week, we'll start with love. It's a good place to start. We'll talk about love in a world of fear and I'm looking forward to diving into that. But as you can tell with my opening this week, talking about Benjamin Franklin, before we get into the list, before we get into the different pieces of the fruit of the Spirit, I'm working extra hard to make sure that this series doesn't devolve into a Ben Franklinian project of self-improvement. Like, I want you to hear loud and clear that the goal this summer is not to make a chart and to track your flaws and to see how by trying harder you can be a more moral person by the end of the summer. So a study in the fruit of the Spirit is not an exercise in simply trying harder. So before we get into the heart of this, in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things, I want us to... I want us to understand maybe the framework that maybe will be helpful for us as we then dive in and approach these things one at a time. So rather than having a chart and a checklist, which is very mechanistic thinking, how might we better approach these things? So I want to offer a better framework to you, a better lens. So to do so, it requires thinking through what Paul is saying here, the words he uses here. As he names these nine features, he calls them what? 
Anyone? Fruit. He says that this is the fruit of the Spirit, emphasis on fruit. So the framework that I want to offer you is a fruit framework. So that as we talk through these things and we think through these nine facets of the fruit, I want you to think he's talking about fruit and fruit means something. There's a different way of thinking about fruit. Fruit happens differently than assembly lines, right? And the the Bible talks a lot about fruit all the way through the Bible. A, A couple examples We read, I don't know, a few months ago, Psalm 1 talks about the good life as being a tree deeply planted by rivers of water that bears, that's your cue, that bears fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does shall prosper. The good life, the blessed man is the one who bears fruit, deeply planted to bear fruit. In Psalm 80, uh, Israel is called the vine that God planted. A lot of Old Testament imagery calls Israel a vineyard. Vine imagery to refer to God's people of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, God speaks of his people as a vineyard that was intended to yield good grapes, but instead yielded wild grapes. And the story of redemption is told through a vineyard lens. John 15, we spent some time in the upper room discourse recently. Jesus talked a lot about the vine and the branches and abiding in him and bearing fruit. Paul in Colossians 1, I think I have this one on the screen, He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Simply put, the Bible teaches us that humans are designed for fruitfulness. You have been made for fruitful living. You have been made to bear fruit. But again, we live in a mechanistic industrial age. We tend to be disconnected from the fruit-bearing process. We're more familiar with charts and graphs and assembly lines. So as we talk about love, joy, peace, all these things that are the fruit of the Spirit, I hope we can keep these ideas that we're going to name tonight maybe in mind, and it helps us as we talk about what does it mean for God to bear this kind of fruit in our character and our souls. So this is fruit. We're talking about fruit. And because it's fruit, we have to think like farmers. And I'm not a farmer. Any farmers? Gardeners, okay, we'll, we'll lower the bar a little bit. Gardeners, we can think like gardeners. Men and women of the soil. Fruit requires consideration of these four things. The soil, the seed, the cycle, and the secret. We all love the secret. So that's what I want us to keep. Here's the fruit framework that I think will help us as we talk through 
the fruit of the Spirit. Keep these things in mind. Let me talk through these four tonight, and then we'll kick it off next week. First of all, the soil. The soil. Whenever you talk about fruit, you have to be mindful of the soil. And the soil that this whole fruit of the Spirit conversation is grounded in is the soil of the gospel. The fruit of the Spirit is an outworking of gospel growth. Which is why I did a little bit of this last week. The fruit of the Spirit is Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 comes after Galatians chapter 4, 3, 2, and 1. The, the fruit of the Spirit shows up in the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. It has a context. It has a, fr- it has a story that's going on. A, a lesson that's being woven throughout the letter of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't just show up magically out of nowhere. Paul has, he's been talking to this church, to these churches, about something specific. And all throughout the book of Galatians, Paul talks about freedom. That's why he talks about freedom so much. He talks about grace. It's why Paul doubles down on double cursing another gospel. It's why he condemns circumcision or any other thing that would be tacked on as additional to the finished work of Jesus. Again, in that church, there were people coming in saying, God kind of loves you, but if you want to be, like, not just on the JV team, if you want to be varsity Christian, you need to get circumcised. Believing in Jesus is good, but you need to be circumcised to kind of have the whole thing. And Paul says, no. So we must never forget that no matter which character trait or piece of the fruit we're talking about, the broader conversation of the fruit of the Spirit comes out of the soil of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. We're not talking about humans' attempt to climb our way of of self-improving ourselves up to make God happy. No, we're talking about the the divine descent of God to us in Jesus who loved us enough to send his son to lay down his life for us. The wider context is a total, full, and finished work of Christ that cannot be added to you. When we talk about a life that bears fruit, we're not talking about self-improvement. We're talking about the full salvation of God. When we're talking about, we're not talking about picking up better manners this summer but discovering what a new creation life looks like. We're not talking about dusting up perfection. We're talking about dead things coming back to life through Jesus. So if for a second you begin to think that you will make yourself more loving, more patient, more kind, more good to make God love you more, if you think that for a second, you're sorely mistaken. Because it's too late for that. God already loves you with a perfect, unconditional love. He has already given you the life of his son, Jesus. He has already shed his blood. He has already defeated Satan's sin and death. He has already ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has already poured out his Holy Spirit. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. You cannot improve yourself enough to somehow make him smile. The fruit of the Spirit is not a reward for self-improvement. 
but it's a result of his love and grace and mercy in your life. So all farmers know this. Good fruit comes from good soil. So I just want to remind us, this is not a heavy burden to be placed on you. This is not legalism. This is not morality. This is not just self-improvement techniques. But the, the fruit of the Spirit flows out of the soil of the gospel. You can't add to Jesus' work. So the fruit of the Spirit through and through is a gospel conversation. All right, that's the soil. We also need to be mindful of the seed, which is the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. No fruit grows without the seed. And again, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. You're like, man, he's really kind of belaboring this point. I just know how quickly we default back to, I've got to do more for God to make him love me. That's just the default mode of the human heart. So no fruit grows without seed. And, and this is the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that grows and develops because the Spirit of the living God has come to dwell in you. By faith, we believe and trust in Jesus. We follow Jesus. The Bible says then that he saves us, he washes us, he regenerates us, he cleanses us. Ephesians 1, he seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. We become the temple of the living God. We are born again from above by the Spirit. We become God's new creation work. All sorts of verses should pop to mind here. John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Titus 3, 4 through 7, talks about the washing and the regeneration of the Spirit. But just a reminder that the new life of God is birthed in us through faith, born in us, seeded in us by His Spirit. My friends, this is where the fruit comes from. It's fruit from the Spirit, by the Spirit in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you could say it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is created in us, but it's not only made by us. Or you can't just produce this on your own. It's a work of this Holy Spirit in your life that comes from God. Pastor Tim Keller says, you are saved by faith, not fruit. So you're not saved by fruit. Saved by faith but you will never be saved by fruitless faith. So real faith will inevitably lead to growth. So we're not talking about how a person is saved. If I do these things, then God will save me. If I do these things, God will love me. If we become more, more moral, better character, that's not what we're talking about. But the faith that we have is meant to be a fruitful faith. Does that make sense? It's the soil. It's the seed. Third piece of the framework to keep in mind. It's the cycle of the seasons. This is, I'll just be honest with you, this part is hard for me to swallow. But it's something that anyone who has ever grown anything, whether you're a farmer or a gardener or a hack gardener, 
when living things grow from the seed, it always takes a matter of time. And there's a cycle of growth to it. The cycle of fruitfulness is not instant. Right? When things grow, they take time. And we'll just have to name the cultural elephant in our room right now. We live in an instant society, and we want everything to be done fully now. We want it fully done, fully grown, fully developed yesterday. We want it perfect, and we want it now. So we prefer the carpool lane. We prefer the fast lane. We prefer the express checkout lane. We prefer the microwave and the Instapot. We prefer high-speed internet, right? You pick up a theme here. Our American efficiency meters are off the chart. If I can get it faster, yes. Nowadays, we bemoan having to wait Amazon to deliver tomorrow. So when our world faster is better. But again, the, the analogy, the metaphor that, that Paul uses to talk about this work of the Spirit in our life, it's agricultural in form. It's not industrial. And if you ever put your hands in the soil, if you ever take the time to plant the seed, you begin to realize this. Agricultural processes take time. The cycle of life, of growth, takes time. It's why there's a season of tilling. It's why there's planting, and then there's watering, and then there's weeding, and then there's waiting, and then there's pruning, and then eventually comes the harvest. And there's probably more we could talk about this, and maybe we will, we will get into this more as we get into the series in these specific pieces. But I want to make sure that we remember that the fruit of the Spirit operates on a kingdom timeline, not the timeline of this world, which is instant. So as God is doing this work in us, as the fruit of the Spirit is being born in us, it's not going to happen overnight. And as we get impatient with that, we must allow ourselves to understand how this works. This, the fruit of the Spirit operates different than the gifts of the Spirit. Right? The gifts of the Spirit, like prophecy or words of wisdom, knowledge, tongues, faith, teaching, and the like. God gives gifts of His Spirit that happen and God blesses and people use and the body is edified by gifts. Gifts of the Spirit are given and are used with speed, efficiency, Fruit of the Spirit is a different thing. Character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It takes time. So as we approach these themes, the American in us will say, okay, I want to be more loving tomorrow. Uh, yes, we'll get to this fourth piece. There are things that we can do in joining God's work in our souls. But my guess is, is you're not going to fully arrive with the full fruit of the Spirit tomorrow. This is a journey that we're on that probably will take the rest of our lives or until Jesus comes back. And we don't like that. There's no quick character fix. 
And the fact that it's the fruit of the Spirit reminds us that these things must grow. And so for that to happen, we must be willing to trust in the slow work of God. Oh, oh, I don't like that. Let me say that again. For the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in our souls, we must learn to trust the slow work of God. How about this? These words from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Man, this, this gets me. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. Amen? <laughs> Can I just be done with this? We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that is made that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force on them as though you could be today what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept, accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. And it hits too close to home for me. Impatient to reach the end without delay. Wanting to skip intermediate stages. Not liking stages of instability. Afraid of things taking a long time. So as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, again, there'll be things for us to do. I'm just going to challenge our just American impatience with this. And just know, even as a shepherd among you, we're playing the long game here. What is God doing in you over the years, over the decades? What will that fruit look like in maturity? This past week, I read a quote from one pastor named John Tyson. He said that the kingdom of God comes in seed form, not realized form. And Jesus talked about this a lot when he talked about the kingdom. He used a lot of seed analogies. The kingdom's like leaven, like a mustard seed, seed form. And it takes them the cycle of the seasons for it to develop and grow and take root and mature. Again, this is a journey of your lifetime. So the work of growth will probably be slower than you think. We want... And it usually looks like this. So do we have a framework that allows for this? The soil, the seed, the cycle, last thing, the secret. The secret of indirection. So if you listen to people talk about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, th those first three may not be new. Maybe like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's about the gospel, of course. So I don't want to... I don't need to add to the work of Jesus. Yeah, it's not about earning. It's the work of the Spirit, the seed of the Spirit in me. God does it. it. takes a long time. God will bring the fruit. Okay, I'm good with that. 
But this last one is a little counterintuitive. So there's a pendulum swing that can happen when it comes to these kinds of ideas. So some say, one end of the pendulum, building my character is self-improvement. It's all on me. I got to try harder. So just try harder, try harder, try harder. Ben Franklin. Then the pendulum can swing all the way to the other end and say, it's all God and I got nothing to do with it then. I got no part to play. But the kingdom secret is it's, it's neither this work of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It is neither try harder or give up. So yes, the fruit of the Spirit is a work of our character. It is about God's grace. It's not about earning his favor. But as Dallas Willard reminds us, that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. There's a difference between earning and effort. Earning is, again, about your, am I doing this to earn God's favor? There is effort to be exerted in the kingdom. You get to participate in your life with God. And there's a difference between effort, showing up, living, following Jesus, and doing so in a way of trying to earn his favor. So to be a fruitful people, the last thing I'm trying to advocate for is just to try harder. But I also don't want you to say, well, I got to do nothing then. Let's just sit on the couch and let the fruit grow. (laughs) Do you know any farmers that do that? Do you know any farmers who put some effort in? Yeah. But here's the thing about farmers and fruit or gardeners. The part that they play is about indirection. So they don't go out, plant, plant the seed, and then yell, apples, fruit, grow. They spend their effort indirectly affecting the the elements or the other pieces that will lead indirectly to the fruit, right? That's why you till the soil, you fertilize the soil, water, prune, weed. None of those things directly have to do with the fruit, but indirectly they provide the environment for the fruit to flourish. So there's a part we get to play. Paul says so. Book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. He changes the metaphor. I'm mixing metaphors, I know. He says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. If anyone's ever given birth, the analogy here he talks about is the anguish of childbirth. There's a participation in childbirth, and it's not easy. But the goal and the desire is to see Christ formed. And Paul says, I'm willing to labor in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So there is a a human side of holiness, as again Dallas Willard would say. Not just to try hard, but to train. Not to earn but to give our due effort. 
to become like Jesus and to see the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus formed in us, involves us indirectly participating, focusing indirectly on how that will be formed in us. Again, Ben Franklin was like, we're tackling it directly. Make my list. Humility, temperance, order, justice. Mark the blemishes. I'm tackling it directly. The way the scriptures speak of this being formed in us is indirectly. Another example that Willard has used in the past, I think it makes sense. If I were to hand you sheet music and sat you down at a piano and said, play Beethoven's Fifth, and then said, go ahead, play it. I'd be like, I can't. I don't play the piano. Try harder. Okay. <laughs> like, I could, I could try harder to play Beethoven's Fifth, but you could give me weeks, and I'd, no matter how hard I try, I won't be able to play it. The difference than just trying harder is that you would be better off, indirectly, learning to play some scales. Learning, learning the, 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 the techniques and the, the pieces of the discipline that would then allow you to become a person who could then play Beethoven's fifth. Does that make sense? It's indirection. The way in which the fruit is cultivated in our life. Again, it's, it's, in the, it's root in the gospel. It's the spirit that does this in us. That there are things that we can do to participate not just by tackling the character traits, but through indirection to allow ourselves by the work of the Spirit to become the kind of people who will follow Jesus and allow the flourishing of the fruit to happen in our souls. That's why I call it the secret of the fruit. The fruit comes not by simply trying harder, but in light of the gospel through the Spirit we spend our effort on the practices that form the Christ life in us. So you want to be more loving? For the Spirit is love. You don't just urge love. You want to be more kind? You don't squeeze kindness out. You want to be more patient? Have goodness or joy? It's not by, by me having me yell at you, do more, be patient, darn it. Some of our parenting ends up like that. But his grace, it's the work of the Spirit. It involves times and seasons. But the human side of holiness, there are these things that God invites us to participate in where there's an environment where the things of God flourish and that's what we want there are things that we can begin to pursue as a community where the spirit of god will begin to flourish love in us and joy in us it's working out what god works in and just aside, none of the fruit of the Spirit are feelings, though they may sound like it. And none of the fruit of the Spirit are personality traits, 
We're like, well, this is just the way I am, so I don't do that. I don't, I don't do joy. I don't do patience. It's not my personality. Like, we don't get to play the personality card on these. Well, not everyone gets all the gifts of the Spirit. Right? It's the idea of the body using gifts of the Spirit together in love. Every believer is invited to experience and bear fruit of the Spirit in us individually and collectively together. When I was a kid, my parents wanted my brother and I to stop biting our fingernails, which is a noble desire of my parents' part. So they made us a deal. They said, if you stop biting your nails, we'll buy you a Nintendo video game. Which back then, in the early days of NES, was like gold mine. I could not save up enough money to buy my own video games. So late elementary school, early middle school years, was like, you're on, mom and dad. So, guess what? I stopped biting my fingernails. Cold turkey. Sheer willpower. And when I did, my parents, true to their word, bought me my reward. And then I started biting my fingernails again. Why? Because behavior modification only lasts so long. I'm not here to say, let's, uh, let's tweak this for the summer and have a new you by fall. But this summer, there is the opportunity for us to discover what God is cultivating in our souls. Good soil, good seed, good seasons for the long haul. And like gardeners, we can begin to tend our lives indirectly in a way that allows for the fullness of the Spirit to bloom. Some really beautiful things. So my question as we start is, where do you want to ask God to bring change? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May he bear good fruit. Let's pray. Ah, Lord Jesus, I'm excited for what you're doing. I'm grateful, Lord, that this isn't just another thing you tack on and you strap on our backs and you just beat us to be better people because that sounds exhausting and it would lead to hopeless despair. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you have loved us unconditionally. Your love is not based on us. It's based on you, who you are, what you've done. It's the fullness of the gospel that leads to any conversation about us changing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You've come. You've come to dwell in us. We have become your dwelling place. We're your temple. We're your Holy Spirit's resting place. What a beautiful thing. We pray, Lord, that you would bear good fruit in us. May our... May our May our character and our lives look like Jesus. And may we have the patience to trust that you are going to be at work and 
working with us over the long haul. No quick fixes, but effective power from on high. So Lord, we would ask that you would continue to have our ears open, our hands open, our eyes open to you. And Lord, I do believe that this is the kind of thing that the world needs to see and hear, experience. May they experience it through us. So we offer this again, Lord, to you and to your Spirit's work this summer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.